Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that you are not who you were, that your chains are gone, you've been set free? I don't know what you've been set free from. Maybe some of you are still held by the chain of having to be a perfect parent. Maybe some of you are still chained. Oh, sorry, kids. Yeah, you can go back. I will get used to that at some point, right? At some point, I'll get used to that. Um, You are no longer chained to having to be the perfect employee. How many of you on your jobs, you feel the pain of having to be perfect all the time on your job? How many of you feel that? You're not chained to that because you're not. Yeah, you don't have to be the perfect employee because you're not the perfect person, right? Don't be chained to that. Some of you have been chained to other things, right? Chained to lying to cover up. Why do we lie? Well, we lie so we can have control, which is our natural desire to rebel against God and not trust God's control. We want to trust our own control, therefore we lie. Um, And I could take that deeper, but I won't. We're all chained to all types of different things. Um, And maybe you're chained, maybe you're chained to eating the wrong food at 1 a.m. We'll just let that one lie. But we all have things in our lives that we ignore, right? How many of you have ever been traveling and you ignored the GPS on your phone? Yeah, I learned something driving down to Florida one day. I don't know if you know this. Um, This little doohickey. Like, there's more power in this than what we had when we sent a man to the moon. And yet, and yet we want to crush candy with it. We are a weird group of people, aren't we? Well, I learned something about the GPS on my phone. We was driving down to Florida. And it told me to get off the interstate. And it wanted me to go on some state highway in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. In the backwoods of Georgia. And I'm... I'm a Yankee, so going into the backwoods of the Deep South isn't exactly on my priority list. But um, I ignored it. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay on the interstate. What I didn't know, and now I know, is it was rerouting me because traffic was stopped. Have you ever ignored something and then learned the hard way? Yeah. If you're a man, get your hand up. That's unexcusable. All right. I ignored it, and I had to learn the hard way, and then I sat in traffic for quite a long time, and it's bad enough that your drive is already like 15 hours, and you have to tack on another hour, right? And then bad things come into your mind, like bad words come into your mind. Okay, look, I'm a preacher, but I still have the flesh, All right? Don't look at me like that. Um, I still battle my flesh just like you do. Well, this morning, as we continue our series, The Bible and National Defense, we're looking at the intersection of morality and crime. You see, when it comes to national defense, the job of a nation is not just to defend itself from the outside with military, and we'll talk about God's ordaining of a nation's military on Memorial Day. That seems kind of appropriate, doesn't it? And that's where we'll end this series. But a nation also has to defend itself from within. 
from its own population, its own citizens. It has to defend itself, but it has a different name. It's called crime. And how does a nation defend itself internally from those who would want to involve itself in crime? We're going to take a look at a story this morning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 4, and then we're going to flip over to Hosea chapter 4, and we're going to look at two primary passages. We're going to look first at the first crime that was ever committed in Scripture. Now, first of all, we have to define what is a crime. Well, a crime is breaking a law. Most people don't realize this, but in the United States, there are so many laws on the books that the average citizen, every single one of you statistically, today, you will break seven laws. Seven times today, on average, the average citizen breaks seven laws a day. Yes, that's speeding. Yes, that's running a stop sign. So, I mean, but think about that. Every single person in this room could be ticketed or put in prison because you will, you'll have seven. Actually, I think, I, I don't want to say this, but I think what I read was that it would be actually, it's actually seven felonies the average person commits because there are so many laws on the books. I don't believe that's how God intended for citizens to live within a country, but it's where we're at. How do we know what a crime is? Because the laws of the land tell us that these things are wrong. Do not commit these acts. Do not do this or there's punishment. And so the first crime in the Bible is this little story right away between two brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, parents, you thought your kids fought. But Cain and Abel, you got some real issues. You see, because God says, okay, well, go ahead and bring a sacrifice to me. So if you know the story, if you're in church, you know the story. If you're not familiar with the story, let me just kind of give it to you in a nutshell. Abel is a, Abel is a, a shepherd. Abel brings a sheep. And Cain works the land. And so Cain brings product from the land. And Abel brings a sheep. Now, without getting into it too deeply theologically, one is living one is dead. One is a living sacrifice. One is a dead sacrifice. One is the best of what he has. The other is, I've got some left over, so I'll bring it. And the Bible tells us that God was pleased with Abel, that God brought, uh, Abel brought to God his best, and Cain brought, eh, it's good enough. It's good enough. And the Bible tells us, that God looked down on Abel's sacrifice and he said, Abel, I'm pleased with what you've brought. Cain, not so much. Cain, you could have, Cain, look, like, step it up a notch, right? It's simply what God says to Cain. Well, Cain, what he should have done then is go to God and say, God, what can I do to make it right with you? But he doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he looks over at his brother and blames his brother. Well, if you hadn't have brought this living sacrifice and brought the sheep, then, then I wouldn't have made to have been look like a fool in front of God. Right? 
But again, the standard is not the person sitting next to you. The standard is between you and God. And God sets the bar. As we'll get into this in just a little bit, God is the moral law giver. And so as the law giver, he gets to set what the punishment is for breaking the law. And so Cain looks at his brother Abel and says, hey, let's go have a talk out in the field. Well, as he's walking out there, the Bible says that his anger and his rage at his brother begins to consume him until he kills him. He murders him. And the Bible is very specific in the Hebrew. There's two different meanings between murder and killing. We'll get into this probably in, a, in, a, in, a, in the coming weeks. But the Bible gives permission to kill. It does not give permission to murder. One is taking of innocence. One is defending. And the Bible in the Old Testament, and even in some parts in the New Testament, make it very clear there is a difference. In the Ten Commandments, it says, do not, bad English interpretation if you read it, and it says kill. The interpretation is literally do not murder. Do not take innocent blood. But let me get back to my notes, because Cain has killed Abel and taken it out on his brother. In Genesis chapter 4, 10 through 12, it says this. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Little interesting fact about blood the molecules in the blood vibrate very rapidly. Science has proven this over and over again so that when blood is spilled, it sends vibrations out into the airwaves. It's no wonder that God says, Your brother's blood cries to me. Because what is sound? Sound is simply your vocal cords vibrating the air. And so we, this isn't, this is literal. And so if it is God, it would make perfect sense that he can hear Abel's blood crying out, vibrating, making noise. And so he hears it and he says, hey, Cain, we got a problem. What's going on? What's happened here? And he, we, what we just read is he says, okay, Cain. You're going to be punished for killing your brother. Now, why doesn't God say, okay, Cain, I'm going to take your life, a life for a life, a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye? Because that law hasn't been instituted yet. And so God cannot punish Cain for a law that doesn't exist. That's not just. And so he says, what you will be, though, is you will be a vagrant, you will be a wanderer, you'll be a no, you will wander the earth, Right? So God, here's what we have to understand, and and we have to correct our thinking, that God wasn't going to get Cain. God wasn't out to get Cain. Okay? I I tell people this all the time. Well, I don't want to come to church building a bird down or God is zapping with lightning or whatever. Look, if God's out to get you, he's going to get you while you're binging on Netflix He's going to get you while you're bellying up to the bar. Look, if God wants to get you, nothing's going to stop him. He'll get you 
while you're sitting on the toilet. He doesn't care. If he wants to get you, he's going to get you. God's not in the business of getting you. That's not his goal. God's goal is to discipline and give you hope for a future. God says, let's correct this and let's keep moving forward. Let's correct it and move forward. God's not in the business of getting people or burning down a building because somebody walked into the building and they'll go, oh, God will burn the building down if I walk in. He's not in the business of that. He's in the business of saying, hey, let's correct this and let's move forward. This is what he's doing for Cain. Cain, this is not okay. Let's move forward. You're going to be punished. You're going to have to work the land harder. There's going to be some punishment for this, but let's move forward. And here's what I want to tell you. You need to quit living in fear of your past and move forward with what God has for you. Quit living in fear of what you've done and live for what God will do. Too many of us are living in fear of our past. What if my past comes back and gets me? What if so-and-so blabs that on social media? What if it gets all over Twitter? Who cares? God's not interested in getting you for your past. He's interested in moving you forward to your future. Because your future in Christ is brighter than the darkness of your past. That's where we got to go. And this is what God was interested for in Cain, too. It's like, Cain, I'm going to punish you for this because you inherently know what you did to your brother's wrong. There is some discipline here, but you're going to have a future. Cain would actually go on, t- Cain would go on and found an entire city. He would, he would, the Bible tells us that he, he founded a city. And so many of us need to quit living in fear of our past and living in fear of what we think God's going to get us for. God's like, I don't, if I want to get you, I'm going to get you. Then you're not going to stop me. But instead, I want to show you mercy and grace for a brighter future. Will I have to correct you and, and nudge you back onto the road a little bit? Yes, but we all do that. We all need that from time to time. How many times have you walked away from a conversation going, Ah, why did I say that? Right? It's inherently human. It's okay. Why did I post that? Man, you know what? I am so glad I have the Holy Spirit living in me because you know how many Facebook posts I delete? The Holy Spirit keeps me from all kinds of messes on social media. (laughs) Some of you are laughing and some of you are like, he can do that? Yes, he does. Right? Some of you typing up those emails at work and you're like, and you just sit it in the draft bin, but then you go back, check, and make sure it's in the draft bin and it didn't actually go to the person. Am I the only person that ever did that working in? No? Okay. Yeah, see, the Holy Spirit will help you with things because this is why Jesus called him the helper. Jesus is my helper in life. My wife is the, my helper in the car, and the Holy Spirit is my helper in life. You need a helper, right? So quit living in fear of what you've done. And, and look at Cain and say, God provided Cain a future despite killing his brother. And then Cain, of course, is worried, right? Cain is, Cain is worried. And so he's getting back into that conversation with Cain and with God. In Genesis chapter 4, 14 through 15, Cain has this to say. Today, he's talking to God. Today, you're driving me from the land and I will... Be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain is concerned about retribution. 
Cain is concerned that other people will, will say, Didn't, aren't you the one that killed your brother? We're going to kill you now. Cain's concerned about retribution. Right? And it says there, it says, But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord will put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. In this passage, God is doing two things for Cain. Now, Cain, Cain murdered his own brother. I mean, that's pretty low, right? That's almost as low as it gets. And God does two things. God says, nope, I'm providing redemption. Even though you murdered your own brother and killed innocent blood, I'm still going to provide redemption for you. I'm going I'm to throw this in here as an example of redemption. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? That whole thing, yeah. So about two, Jeffrey Dahmer, in case you don't know, was off the walls. Uh, if, if you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, you can Google it. It's pretty gross. It's pretty, it, it's very dark. Um, serial killer who murdered people and then took their body parts and put them in the freezer, ground them up and would eat them and, and whatever. Um, pretty dark, pretty gross. But Three months before he got to the electric chair, he accepted Christ and led, a, led Bible studies in the prison. God is in the work of redeeming anything and everything. You can Google it. He, he solely committed his life to Christ three months before. And if some of you are in shock, like how could he be in prison? It's a perfect example that you don't understand grace. And you don't understand God's love. Because God's not willing that any, and the word any means any, that any should perish. So this is, I'm just telling you that so that when you get to heaven, you don't have sticker shock and see Jeffrey Dahmer. How did this happen? God's grace, right? God's grace. And so he's doing two things in this passage. One, he's saying, hey, I'm disciplining you, but there's hope and redemption, Cain. I can redeem you. The second thing he's doing is he's marking vigilanteism as wrong. In other words, what God's saying is people will not be allowed to take the law into their own hands. God's saying being a vigilante is not okay with me. People cannot say, oh, you're the one that murdered your brother, so I'm going I'm to take your life because look what you did, and I can't believe you're still alive. So, being a vigilante is wrong. It makes for good movies like Robin Hood and Batman, but biblically, it's wrong. God says people cannot take the law into their own hands against you, Cain. It's a principle in Scripture, right? It's, it's a principle. So what happened here in this story of Cain killing his brother? What really happened Here's what happens anytime crime happens. Here's what we have to understand about crime. Crime is the result of breaking a law based on moral law. Crime is based on law. Law is based on the people that are put into office, 
They go into office. When we vote someone into office, this is why this matters. When you vote someone into office, they're going to create law. They're going to vote on law. That law that they vote for or they create is based on a system of beliefs. Think about this. Crime is the result of breaking a law based on moral law. Well, I believe this, so I'm going to write this law based on what I believe, and then I'm going to try to convince everybody else to vote for it. We're going to pass it, and now if you break it, you're a criminal. So the giver of the moral law has, has a responsibility to decide the punishment. So because Cain broke God's moral law, that a human being should not murder another human being, God has the responsibility to decide the punishment for Cain. The same is true in our country. If you go 30 miles over the speed limit, it's no longer just a ticket, it's give us your license. But if you're only going 10 to 15 miles an hour over, it's here's a ticket, see you in court, or pay the ticket. There's levels of this. So that the one who passed the law has a responsibility to decide the punishment for the law. Does that make sense? And so law is based on, law is based on the beliefs of the individuals. Now, how they come to their belief, data, statistics, or their upbringing, or however they come to their beliefs, those beliefs are inherently in them, and so they begin to pass law based on that. And they decide the punishment from that. This is the intersection of morality and crime. Because that individual's sense of morality will determine the laws of the land. This is why it's so important that we understand who we're putting into office, or the policies that are being passed. Because it says something about their sense of belief and their sense of morality. Are you with me on this? This is why it's important. So what happens, what happens when a nation's moral laws are are made, but then that nation begins to shift its morality, but the old laws are still on the books. Thanks to the nursery for these great blocks. They told me not to play with them, but I couldn't. I can't help it. So here's what happens. We start founding laws based on morality and understanding from one generation. The next generation passes laws and sense of morality based on those laws. The next generation begins to build laws on top of those laws based on their sense of morality. Do you see where this goes if I keep stacking? We've all tried to keep stacking on top, stacking on top, stacking on top. Until at some point, if we get high enough up, what happens? Let's just pretend. Can we pretend? Because these are nursery toys, right? Let's pretend. What happens? Well, it starts to get slightly off center, doesn't it? And then what happens to the law system? It collapses on itself. 
because the sense of morality in one generation is less than the sense of morality in the generation prior to until eventually the laws are outdated because they don't fit the way we believe and fit the way we want because laws are based on morality, which is based on beliefs. And so the laws have to collapse at some point. And then the nation has to redefine itself based on its understanding of its beliefs, which will define its morality. This is why scripture says over and over and over again, hey, Joshua, you just passed through the Jordan at flood stage, build a memorial so that people won't forget what I've done. Hey, build a memorial so that the country won't forget. This is why when you go to D.C. and you see all the statues and all the memorials, right, don't forget this is the basis of everything. That's why when the Supreme Court I love this. When the Supreme Court closes its doors and begins to hear cases, what's on those doors? What's above the doors? Moses, the Ten Commandments, the ultimate lawgiver, Bible passages inside the Supreme Court on the walls. Wait a minute. Well, what happened to separation of church and state? Or have we misinterpreted that? We misunderstood it because the Supreme Court inside the court, Moses is painted and Ten Commandments are engraved in the doors. And wait, that was done 100, 100 years, over 100 years ago. Maybe we've misunderstood something because one generation's sense of morality doesn't quite fit the laws and so it collapses. And this is where we find. Israel in the days of Hosea. Israel has left the foundation of Moses and Abraham, and they're defining their own laws based on Babylon and based on other countries around them. And Hosea, as a prophet of God, addresses Israel as a country. And he says in Hosea 4, 1 through 4, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. Now, we talked the last two Sundays about God's intention for government, God's purpose for government, right? We talked about that, and we talked about how how nations rise to power and they fall from power. So Israel has fallen from power, and God says, okay, you've fallen like that house that has sunk into the ground and shifted, and it's no hardly longer, it's not hardly uh, livable anymore. And so the Lord brings a charge against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness. There is no love. There is no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing. I'll come back to that in a minute. Lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. I'll come back to that in a minute. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. I'll come back to that in a minute. Because of this... Uh, Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. That literally means, can, can I reinterpret that for you? It literally means nobody's holding anybody accountable for anything. He said, nobody's bringing a charge against anybody. Nobody's saying, hey, that's not okay. He said, nobody's holding anybody accountable for anything in the nation of Israel. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. He goes, you guys aren't even holding each other accountable for anything. 
What's right for you is right for you, and what's right for you. This is where Israel is in, their, in, in Hosea's day. Yeah, you can do that. You can worship that God, and I'll go worship this God, and I'll go over here and do this. And, and God's like, guys, you're not even holding each other accountable to any kind of standard anywhere. Let's go back up. And he says that there is only cursing. Now, this is not to be interpreted as swearing and, and using curse words. It literally means, in Hebrew, shady business deals. It means just trying to get ahead, just make a buck, even if you have to do something underhanded or under the table, dirty business dealings. Doing whatever your business has to do to get ahead is literally what this means. Cursing means that you, uh, um, that you would, you know, I promise to do this based on the contract. But the contract doesn't exactly stipulate this, so I'm going to go over and do this because it's to my advantage in the business world. Going all the time in Israel. And then he says, break, you, break all, you break all bounds. It means, in other words, don't bind us. Don't tell us what we can and can't do. The morality wasn't lining up to the original morality that God, don't tell me what I can and, and, and can't do. I want to do this. Here's what we have to understand about freedom. Freedom requires boundaries. Freedom requires boundaries. Freedom with, you need to write this down because some of we need to understand this, that freedom without boundaries is called chaos. And nobody wants to live in chaos. Right? (laughs) I think. Freedom has to have boundaries to exist. There has to be guardrails. It's okay, it's safe within here, but if I get outside of those boundaries, I have to redefine everything. And if I have to start redefining everything, how do I redefine it? So that we can all live in safety. I don't know. One of our founding fathers said that written law is only as good as the Written law can only be carried so far, and I'm paraphrasing this, written law is only as good and can only be carried so far as everyone has a common understanding of unwritten law. Unwritten guidelines that we're not putting in writing, but everybody has a basis of understanding that's not in writing. Why? Because your written law is always based on unwritten law, basic understanding, basic belief system. But when I pull that out, well, I can interpret this law to mean this over here, Uh Uh-oh, now I'm getting into cursing, as Hosea says, because it works for me, so I'm going to twist the words of this to mean what I want it to mean. Sound familiar? Remotely? Because now how do I know what a crime is? How do I know know what's legal and illegal if we keep twisting words and to mean what I want it to mean? How this is the intersection of morality and crime. We're stuck. With issues, freedom requires boundaries. When we break past the boundaries that God has set, when one generation breaks the moral boundaries that's, that's set before them by another generation, that generation now has to redefine morality for themselves. And all of the laws that were passed were based on the beliefs of a previous generation. So now we've got issues all over the place. What's this look like? 
Go ahead and put that. There you go. Okay. So this is, um, this is Low Gap Loop in Hoosier National Forest. Um, this is my recording. My buddy and I went down there to do some prep hiking before hiking in the Smokies. And so the red is our trail. It's a 13-mile loop. Um, but you'll notice something about the loop. There's this red line that jutes out. It's probably about, I don't know, about three-quarters of a mile, a mile or so. Let me tell you something about Low Gap Loop and Hoosier National Forest. It's pretty well marked. Until you get to this one area, you're not sure what happens to the trail. This has been a long day. This is 13 miles in one day. Now, I know that was nothing to Jesus because he did like 20 miles a day. But I'm not Jesus. (laughs) Nor are you. But he did it in sandals. So that's just crazy. That's how I know he had the Holy Spirit. Nobody can hike 20 miles in sandals. But the trail gets really iffy right there. Now, I had my GPS on. I wanted to track it so I can record what trails I've hiked and what I haven't hiked. And the black dot is where we had parked the car. So we had gone around. Do you see how close we were to getting to the car? We were almost home, almost to the car. I finally looked over at Michael and Michael... Um, I don't know. I think we're, because it looked like a trail, but it wasn't quite a trail. It seemed right, but it wasn't quite right. Are you with me? And you know what would have happened had we kept on that trail? Like the worst thing ever after you've done 13 miles, you have to do another eight to get back to your car when you thought your car was right around the bend, right? Right? This is what's happening to us morally. We're we're straying from where God has said, and we're just kind of trying to make our own little trail. Because it looks right. It seems right. The Bible even tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. There's a way that seems right, but the end is death. And I can tell you, we felt like death because I overloaded my pack on purpose to try to match some of the elevation of the mountains. I was sore. I was ready to get in the car. I was ready for this to be over. No, I've gone a mile out of my way, and now I have to track back another mile. That's two miles out of my way. This is not cool. But as a nation, what we're doing is we're trying to blaze our own trail now because previous generations, yeah, they marked the, they marked the trail for us, but... We're not really sure because now we have this issue and now we have that issue. And here's what I found. King Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. Every issue that I see people talking about, I'm like, um, you guys, if you start going back through history, you're going to find that the Roman Empire had that, the Greek Empire had that, the Babylonian Empire had that, Genghis Khan had that, you name it. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Nothing. But we think it's new because we lack an understanding of history, of sociology, understanding where people have been and what people have gone through. So we think it's new to us. So we think we're in new territory. So we think we have to create all this new stuff. When God said, no, this is all you need from the dawn of time till the end of time. Stay on the trail. And if it doesn't, and if you're like, I don't understand this, then get understanding. In all of thy ways, get understanding is what this book says. Listen, parent, listen to me. Adam and Eve had the perfect father in the near-perfect environment. 
and they still had a kid that went off the rails. How much more as parents in a world that's fallen, right? Look, Adam and Eve were not perfect parents, and they had a perfect father in a perfect environment. Quit putting the pressure on yourself to be perfect parents. You don't need that pressure. God doesn't expect it of you. And here's what I want to say. You can't expect your kids to accept the moral boundaries you have just because you said so. You have to explain it so that they understand it. And your job is to help your children understand the boundaries set by God. And if they make that decision to walk away from it, it's on them. Abel made the decision to do what was right. Cain made the decision to do what he felt he wanted to do. And yet there are only two generations removed, or one generation removed from Adam and Eve. You can't, you have to be able to show your kids why this matters. So if I'm, and let me just, let me just say this, right? That if, if, I'm, if I'm taking my kid out to swing a bat and not in church, tell me which home run's going to save their marriage. Which stolen base is going to help them determine whether something is right or wrong? Which, which point that they score is going to help them hear from God because God knows the end from the beginning and can help navigate their life. It's not. Yeah, you're going to learn things about teamwork and camaraderie and working hard. Well, what are those based on? Where does that come from? Which, which one of those soccer goals on a Sunday when your kid isn't in church is going to help them raise their kids? It's not. It's not. It's very short-sighted of parents to say, well, we're going to go do this instead of this. We have a lot of short-sighted parenting going on. A lot. And we're seeing the results of it. So thank you for being here today to raise your kids in an environment so that when they grow up, they've had the opportunity to hear from God and know what God wants and develop a relationship with God so that when they hit the hard times in life, that, that grand slam that they hit isn't going to help them when they hit a struggle in life. Because that was 20 years ago. And I don't know how to handle this situation. But had I grown up in church and understood and knew what was going on, I probably would have had a clearer way to see, my, to see my way through this. Listen, law did not originate with man. It originated with God. Therefore, the enforcement also originates with God. I said it earlier. The person that creates the laws also creates the, how those laws get enforced. And so Hosea goes on. And he says that bloodshed follows bloodshed. This is simply saying one murder doesn't stop. How do we stop the murdering? Hosea says that murder leads to murder, lying leads to lying, cheating leads to cheating. It's perpetual. And we know something else about sin. It's exponential. Sin doesn't add up. Sin multiplies. 
right? And so Hosea says, it just keeps going. Bloodshed, bloodshed, murder, murder, cheating, cheating, lying, lying. And so he asks the question, where will it end? Where does it all end? This, this intersection of crime and morality, where, where does it end? In Hosea chapter 4, verse 3, he says, Because of this, the land dries up, all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the fields, the birds of the sky, and the fish in the sea are all swept away. The, the land dries up literally means the nation is in mourning. The nation is in mourning from all of the crime. It wastes away means it's in a state of sadness. People in the nation are sad. I, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed. I don't even watch the news. I look at the headlines and move on. But I can tell you just from the headlines, I can tell you just from the headlines, people are sad and our nation's in mourning. So where does it all end? Let me, let me solve the immorality issue. Let me solve this, this issue. The Bible gives us the plan. Psalm 119, verse 11. I, David says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I get the word. I get scripture in me as a navigational tool when I hit difficulties in life. That it helps navigate things. Second Peter 1.4 Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. This is the word. I have given you great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in divine nature. If you want to participate in the very nature of God, get into this. Whether it's an actual book or on your phone. Having escaped uh-oh, here we go. Escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Next verse, John 17, 17. This is Jesus praying before he goes to the cross. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is truth. Everything outside of it is not. Everything outside of it is not. And Jesus says the only way that you're going to sanctify yourself, understand the divine nature, and not break God's laws that he has set for humanity is to know this thing. And you can't know this thing if you feel like, you know, I should probably pick up my Bible and read it, but I need to, I, I need to see what's going on with this series that I'm watching. Or I need to go do this instead of read and understand. Or comprehend. And if reading is tough, put the app on your phone and listen to it. Right? Or watch it on, like, one of those streaming things. Watch it. This, people say all the time, I, I keep trying to overcome this. And I, I, I'm praying, I pray, God, take it from me. God, change me. Listen, prayer is good. But Jesus said, Sanctify them, which is a change process. Change them by knowing the word. You can pray, God, change me all you want. You can pray, God, take it away from me all you want. But until this gets into here, there is no power. This is power to change everything. And I literally mean everything. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
We need to stop praying that God would change us and stop praying, God, take it. Why would you make me like this? Change me and get this in you and it will begin to change you. It's what it says. We just read John 17, 17, but John 17, 18, our last verse as we close. He says to his father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What Jesus is looking for is people that know his word, that his word has changed them so that they can go out into the world and be change agents. That's your responsibility. That's your job, to be a change agent, to be an agent of change, to go into the world. It's his word in you that prevents immorality, that prevents crime. It's, it's an understanding of your divine nature that's in you and God's truth coming out of you that allows you to combat and overcome the part of you that is anti-God that doesn't align with Scripture. It's God's truth in you that combats the part of you that has broken his moral code. So I want to encourage you today is this. If If you've been praying, God, change me. God, take it away from me. That's okay. But throughout Scripture, we see the way you get changed and the way it's taken away from you is by getting this in you and meditating on this day and night. This morning as we close, I want everybody to stand up. And if I can ask Josh and Beth to come up here and Lynn come up on this side. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. And I want to challenge you this week, as we close out in song, I want to challenge you this week Begin to hide the word of God in your heart to give you the power to change everything and anything about you. It's this. It's not your prayer that will change you. It's this that will change you and bring you in alignment with God. Let's see. prodigal returned sing it to him and all my hope is in Jesus but 
about that cause I've been washed by the blood and I've been washed by the blood Amen Amen you guys are going to have an amazing week you know that you know how I know that because 2,000 years ago, somebody died on the cross and beat death. And that person's in you. There's nothing you're going to face this week that he can't beat. So I know you're going to have a great week. And worst case scenario, if he calls you home, well, that's not the worst case scenario. Right? All right, listen. Be sure, go out those doors, hang a right, sign up, help us out for Memorial Day. And you guys have an amazing, amazing week. We love you. Oh, there is a greeting meeting right after church, too. Have a great week.